10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone. This is the Old College Try. This is your host, Tim Hyland. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, it's Thanksgiving weekend, the greatest and the only four-day weekend of the calendar year, correct? This one certainly feels different, a little bit different, but uh, I'm not going to let it get me down. Thanksgiving, as we all know, is the greatest holiday in America, uh, in our country, uh, because it consists of football, food, and no religion. <laughs> it's a very, it's a, it's a uniquely no stress holiday. That's the beauty of it, right? Yeah, like, especially this year when people, uh, well, some people, of course, will be traveling, but many will not. And uh, when you don't have to travel, it truly gets stress free. Absolutely. And again, it's just, it, it's, it's a very fundamental. It's just a meal. And there's been a lot. This annoys me, Mike. There's been a lot of discussion on the the uh, the poisonous world that is Twitter. People like claiming that Thanksgiving food is not good, which I hate. Like, oh, I know. Right. I've seen a lot of that too. This whole this whole um, uh, uh, line of thought that turkey is not is not tasty. It's ridiculous. I love turkey. Yeah, and poorly made turkey is not good, but well made turkey is good. Um, stuffing, stuffing is a wonderful food item, Mike. Is it not? Stuffing is tremendous, and I hear you're making some oyster stuffing. That sounds fabulous. I'm making four stuffings this year. I'm all in stuffings. I'm going to throw in a spicy southern uh, mac and cheese, of course. Ooh, nice. Like, few things are better than mixing your stuffing with some uh, mac and cheese and pouring some gravy on that. That's just <laughs> indulgence right there. That does, um, that does sound uh, unreal. Down at Mahaffey's, my local pub down here in Baltimore, that, have you, of course, you visited a few weeks ago they've had on the menu the last couple weeks um thanksgiving balls which are basically giant deep fried balls filled with stuffing cranberry sauce grand manier infused gravy and oh. cut up turkey it's four of them absolutely will incapacitate you but uh it's great. I love Thanksgiving food, and of course, it's the best leftover food there is as well. Absolutely, and I, I will say too, like I'm not a I'm not a, a dessert person. I don't think you are there, Mike. But I on Thanksgiving, I am a sucker for a nice pecan pie. Uh, you lost me there. I, I do not eat pie. No, not even pecan pie. Not even pecan pie. No, I'll have I'll have bourbon as my dessert, and of course, I retreat to my house and have uh, white Russians afterward too. <laughs> right, so very much looking forward to uh, Thanksgiving. My brine is currently boiling on a slow simmer on the stove, so my turkey, we have, <laughs> so following the uh, guidance of, uh, you know, our health officials, we are not doing the big family get together this year. It's just gonna be me, Aaron, and the kids. Um, but Aaron bought the turkey beforehand, so we have a 21 pound turkey for the six of us, so this will be interesting, right? Jack needs to Jack needs to put on a few LBs anyway. <laughs> right. So anyway, I just I love Thanksgiving. I love it. It's the best holiday. Um, Mike, what was your weekend of college football? Well, it was the biggest Indiana game since 1967 on Saturday, Tim. I was I I couldn't can't even tell you how excited I was for the ball game. I had about eight people I think came over 
to the backyard. It was a beautiful day, about 65 degrees here in Baltimore. So I put the TV out back. We had a nice socially distanced uh, party where I grilled up some sausage at halftime. We had all kinds of other great treats, lots of good beer. I made Bloody Marys. It was a real kind of festive atmosphere. And the ball game did not disappoint. Indiana played their absolute hearts out. They stood toe-to-toe with Ohio State, even when it looked like Buckeyes were going to blow it out there in the second half. Um, I couldn't be happier with the way IU performed. It came up a little short, of course, because let's face it, they're just not as good as Ohio State. But it was, uh, it was a spectacular day of college football. A lot of the people who came over, too, not necessarily Indiana fans, some not necessarily even college football fans, but all were mesmerized by the game because it was really, really an exciting game. So that was the gist of my uh, Saturday. After that, I have to admit, I did not watch a whole lot of college football. I had, uh, had Bedlam on in the background there for a while. But uh, it was really all about IU Ohio State. It was, it, we'll get there in a second. Uh, but, yeah, the, I, just an unbelievable effort by Indiana. So, again, you say it every week, but Tom Allen, what a job he's doing with that team. It's just incredible. Um, I think my day started, too, with the same game, of course. Um, got into the Penn State game. It's a whole different story, Mike. Uh, <laughs> Didn't took, I took <laughs> my dog, Zeke, for a very long post-game Penn State distressing walk. <laughs> very nice <laughs> try and air, air your brain out there <laughs> yeah but again it was it was a, a very nice weekend um mike we should get right into the week in review um we'll start with this so i i start with number one bama 63 kentucky three to your credit i did mention this show last week that i thought like kentucky had a chance to cover <laughs> and you were like no absolutely not gonna happen and Clearly didn't happen. Uh, again, Bama won by 60. Yeah, they're, they're, Bama is looking like a machine uh, this year. They're looking like Secretariat right now. Uh, here we go. Number three, Ohio State, 42. Number nine, Indiana, 35. I'll go first. Uh, there's so much to say in this game. First of all, I felt that Indiana came out clearly a little bit nervous. Jerry yeah. didn't feel like they were up to the occasion. Um made some mistakes. There was a few drops in the game. Justin Fields looked great early, but this is what gives me, I mean, I, I can't get past what a coaching job Allen's doing. You guys are down 28-7, right? Yep. 28-7 in Ohio Stadium, even without people there, that is like a temple of college football. Like that's an intimidating place to play. You're playing this team where you know they're more talented than you. It would have been very easy for Indiana to fold up the tents and just like get out of there. To their enduring credit, what an incredible second half they played. All of a sudden, your front seven, who I've been praising all year, was getting to fields. Mm-hmm. Their front seven couldn't get to Penix. Penix started making throws. Your wideout, what's his name? I, I can never remember his name. Ty Freifogel. Unbelievable player. Um, you guys, and even when they w- would pull away by, again, a, a couple touchdowns, you would pull right back in the game. I was listening to the game um, on my beloved, uh, you know, Learfield IMG College Football Blitz, and the Ohio State announcers were clearly nervous, mm-hmm. clearly nervous, because you guys would not go away. Um, and you had a chance right down to the very end. I mean, it was just an incredible performance. I do think the entire college football world, that was a validation, like nothing else. Like Everyone understands now you guys are legit good. I thought you were kind of um, woefully underranked in the first playoff rankings. I thought it was very unfair. Um, but in just, just a great performance. And, again, 
I cannot emphasize enough, you guys could have won that game. You could yeah. have won that game. Well, a couple X's and O's things to start with. First of all, you're absolutely right. We look nervous to begin with, no doubt about it. We, we Some uncharacteristic drop, Penix missed a few throws. But when he settled in, um, I thought he looked great. It was 21-7 Ohio State uh, when the game, in my my opinion, that's when the game really turned. We were driving at the end of the first half, 21 or down 14. We were driving in. We're inside their 20, had all the momentum, looked like we're going for a touchdown. We fumble. Ohio State drives all the way down the field, scores a touchdown right before the end of half to make it 28-7. Then they get the ball back to start second half, and they score again. So it's 35-7, to actually. Um, I believe that's what happened. And then, uh, so that was a huge turn of events. Of course, Penix threw the pick six. Obviously, anyone can tell that that was a huge turn of events. But on defense, we got to Fields and made Fields look like uh, no one else has made him look in, in his college career, in my opinion. Exactly. They were putting such pressure on him. He threw three picks, equaling what he had thrown in his entire career leading into this game. Um, Indiana threw for over 490 yards in the air. And I think the, there are a lot of questions about the Ohio State secondary and pass defense. But uh, they crushed us on the ground, of course. They had over 300 yards rushing. We had, I think, zero or possibly negative yards. Um, so it was, it was kind of like a, a tale of two stories. And then very, very cocky decision by Ryan Day to go for it on fourth down when a field goal would have put them two scores up. That was disrespectful, of course. Unfortunately, IU couldn't make them pay for the game ended. We went a four and out. Um, but it was a hell of a showing. And if you watch Tom Allen's speech in the locker room afterward, I think he, he struck the perfect chord between, hey, we're past the type of program where we're going to, uh, you know, have moral victories. But then he essentially kind of said, with the, without saying it, this was a moral victory about <laughs> how he was with the way the team played and with the way they came back. So, you know, all things being considered, if, if we couldn't have shocked the world and won the ball game, I think it was a, an outstanding showing by IU. And I watched, a, by the way, I watched a little of the of the Fox pregame show for the first time in a long, long time. And Urban Meyer had nothing but positive things to say about Indiana and how they're a legitimately good team. They're legitimately better than Michigan. They're better than Penn State. And, uh, and he, uh, I think our play validated what he said. You think they're better than Penn State, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Well, keep in mind, Penn State outgained IU by, you know, 200 yards and, and easily could have won that game. Who knows if their season would have gone a little bit differently. But I think if we played them this week, we'd beat them by, you know, three to four touchdowns. I was telling Jack today, actually, we went to the field to go kick and, like, work out a little bit. Um, I, I look back to the Indiana game, to your point, too, like Penn State did outgain you guys by whatever. But also, I think back, like, man – our kicker stout with that 57 yarder was so close to making that field goal to win the game. Imagine yeah. how different both seasons could have been for both teams. If he makes that field goal. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, at Penn state, I think it really has snowballed for them. We'll get to them. And it's kind of snowballed in the opposite direction for IU. It'll be interesting to see how we play against Maryland this week coming off a loss for the first time in the season. So real quick, uh, Iowa 41, Penn state 21. At this point, it's all a blur for Penn state. Um, uh, I don't want to belabor the point, but this is a team bereft of confidence, bereft of belief. There's clearly guys who are not trying. Um, it's a flat-out mess. And to me, the single issue is this. And I, I keep saying this. I've said it probably every show this year. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. And right now, Penn State has no quarterback. Clifford is 
devastated confidence wise. Will Levis can't make a throw that yeah. requires any kind of touch. And then the, th- the third string kids, a redshirt freshman who's never taken a snap. Like there's no answers for Penn State at this point. And as bad as Michigan has been, I just cannot foresee a scenario where this Penn State team in their current state wins this week. But um, just another really bad performance by Penn State. Just it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, I did not see the game. I know that you picked Iowa as your lock for the second week in a row and got the win. Congrats there. But uh, didn't seem competitive on the highlights that I saw, you know, quarterback turnovers, to, to, to speak to your point. Um, you just can't have it. Uh, the, the, I, I think um, Clifford fumbled that went for a, that the guy picked up and ran for a touchdown. And it's, it was a very weak attempt to tackle him by Clifford as well that I noted. Yeah. Um, but by the way, I don't know if it's on our list to talk about, but I did watch – um, a lot of the end of the Michigan Rutgers game. Uh, so I'll jump to that real quick, just because you brought up Michigan. Seventeen nothing Rutgers. Michigan has to play the game of their life to come back and beat Rutgers. So I wouldn't put it past Penn State to have a chance to beat Michigan this week. It's going to be that's going to be a fascinating game to watch from um, kind of a, a troll's perspective. <laughs> the only thing with that is that Michigan made the QB switch, and the kid they yeah. switched to looks like he can actually make a play. <laughs> yeah, he, play, he played much better. He gave them a much-needed much spark. And also, you know, credit to Rutgers. Rutgers scored a lot of points on Ohio State in the second half. They played well against Indiana. They beat Michigan State. So they only have the one win this year, but they're clearly in a much-improved team. Uh, number seven, Cincinnati 36, UCF 33. The biggest test since he's faced this year, unfortunately, this week, since his game against Temple has been canceled. Um, but this is, we have been saying this was a big test for them and they passed the test. I think it's good for them as a team to be um, pushed a little bit. Um, yeah. but Fickles just, he keeps doing a great job with it. That's a, they're a fun team to watch. They're a good solid team. You know, we keep saying it, but that's what since he is, they're just, uh, they're Wisconsin of the power five. Yeah. And they probably could be better than the actual Wisconsin this year. We don't know, but, uh, very, very disturbing, a turn of events at the end of the game when Cincinnati favored by four and a half or five up by three, they're running back in a classic, uh, classic situation of overthinking things uh, intentionally does not score and goes down at the one. They end up having to keep doing a bunch of snaps and then they snap the ball over their quarterback's head at the very end of the game. They got it. They didn't get the cover. Um, I think sometimes we're starting to try and overthink these analytics it started with the with the Penn State situation in, in week one. But, but uh, got to go in the end zone there, Cincinnati running back, get the cover, and it would be, would have been better for your team as well. But tip of the cap to the Bearcats. They're looking good. How about this one? Number 19, Northwestern, uh, 17. Number 10, Wisconsin, 7. This is what I've been telling my Penn State friends. Like, hey, I know you're despondent right now, but look, Northwestern last year was flat out awful. They yeah. were a terrible football team. Pat Fitzgerald, to his credit, made some pretty important changes, serious changes. All of a sudden, Northwestern, they're top 10 team, right, Mike? Oh, God, yeah. Their defense is absolutely legit. We've seen how that Wisconsin offense looked earlier in the year in their first two games. Graham Mertz looked terrific. They were throwing it all over the place. Of course, they can always run it, but Northwestern has – They've come to play, and Peyton Ramsey, the Indiana transfer quarterback, he's just a winner. He just wins when it no matter – it doesn't always look pretty, but he can run it, he can throw it. And Northwestern ranked five, – or 5-0 and ranked in the top ten. I'm still not convinced they're not going to lose a ball game here uh, in, their, in their last three. But uh, tip of the cap to them, they, they've looked great. 
And it seems like with Pat Fitzgerald, it's one one down season, one up season, and this is their this is their uh, season to shine. Honestly, put yourself in the shoes of the Northwestern coach. Um, I'm guessing the reality is that there are actually some recruiting restrictions as far as yeah. who can get in, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, what is your pitch? So you're not going to get a five star, okay? No. You got an outside shot at a four star. You're you're building a roster around three and two stars, basically, right? Um, but is your pitch realistic? Like, hey. We're not going to be Big Ten champions every year. It's not ever going to happen. But like, what? I, I'm just dying to hear like what you would think. Like, what would you sell a kid on besides the, of course, academics at North Northwestern? I think sadly, I mean, not sadly, but uh, honestly, the academics are probably a big part of what they have to sell at Northwestern. Number two, that beautiful football facility right there, right on the shores of Lake Michigan. Right, everybody says what a Shangri-La that place is. And third is Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, he is. He is Northwestern football. He's taken them to the Rose Bowl. He's coached them to heights they've never achieved, you know, consistently ever in their history before. He seems like a very charismatic guy, doesn't he? He just seems like he would be a good recruiter. So you got to find the two and three stars and then coach him up, as they say. And Fitzgerald seems to be able to do that. I also love, too, like we have a school in the Big Ten, which is a Midwest conference, called Northwestern, because when they were founded, they yeah. were literally the northwest of the country. <laughs> I, I know they're, the western part makes no sense at all they should just be north uh number north 13 wildcat. the north wildcat seems like a, a name that's made up for a movie or something doesn't it number 13 georgia 31 mississippi state 24 so i didn't see this game I don't, i'm not sure if you did with brian i'm just guessing given the results for mississippi state this year i am pretty sure that Georgia fans were not thrilled with a seven point victory over this team. Well, they were, I, I didn't see the game either, but in uh, kind of reading a little bit and uh, you know, talking to some Georgia folk, uh, they were excited that JT Daniels came in and threw the ball and they actually had a passing game. So that was, that was exciting for them. The fact that their defense gave up 24 points to Mississippi state is concerning. And the fact that Georgia is number nine in the rankings is a laugh is, is, is a joke. So it's, it's right. a laugh. There's nowhere there. There's no way they should be the number nine team in the country. But uh, a win's a win. They got the seven point win, and they uh, they roll on in their beleaguered season, hoping JT Daniels is the future at quarterback. And this is my thing with Georgia too. So like there was a lot of discussion um, after this game where Georgia fans were disgruntled because they thought that um, why hadn't the coaches put Daniels in the game earlier? Like right. if he was. But there's a lot of question about his health. Essentially, I mean, he's coming off. Of, a very, very serious knee injury. Um, he hadn't played since August of last year. So there's a lot of things that obviously the coaches know that fans don't. Right. And I think it's frustrating for me. <laughs> like, of course, like Kirby Smart is not intentionally not playing the best quarterback. Right, right. exactly. He's Exactly. He is doing what he thinks is best for the team. <laughs> uh, number 18, Oklahoma 41. Number 14, Okie State 13. Mike. Our beloved Okie State, they just can't ever pull together, can they? It's, it's getting sad. I mean, I, I, this, like, like I said, this game was on down in my basement bar, the bungalow on the main screen. Um, my attention was starting to waver at this point after a long day. But this is one of those games, every time you looked up, Oklahoma was scoring another touchdown. The, score, the, the game wasn't even as close as the score uh, indicates, and the score doesn't indicate that it's that close. 
two and 14 now for Mike Gundy as coach against Oklahoma. Um, it's just getting sad. I mean, at some point, Oklahoma State's going to have to start winning a couple of these or Bedlam is going to really take a is really going to slip in the rivalry rankings. Although you think about it and look, um, is it the same reality for Ohio State, Michigan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, but historically, I think historically Oklahoma has dominated Oklahoma State. But, uh, you know, historically Michigan has had some moments against Ohio State. But uh, any good rivalry needs, you know, a little bit of uh, equanimity. And, and uh, hopefully the Pokes can get it, get it done here in the next couple years. Uh, or else maybe, you know, they got to they start thinking about a new approach. Uh, number 23, Auburn, 30, Tennessee, 17. I must admit, Mike, I've not seen Auburn play a single game this entire year. <laughs> I actually have early in the season. They seem, based on their results, I certainly did not see any of this game. But based on their results, they seem to be getting a little bit better as the season goes on. Of course, Tennessee is a complete disaster. Already yes. talked, they, they extended Jeremy Pruitt last year after an 8-5 and five season, which they had seven wins against bad teams and one very lucky win against Indiana in their bowl game. Um, the fans, of course, uh, are calling for Pruitt's head. Uh, Tennessee is, is a complete disaster. So Auburn playing a little bit better heading into the Iron Bowl. Bo Nix, you know, was shaky at the beginning of the year. Apparently, he's kind of right the ship a bit so we'll see how Tigers perform this weekend. Mike probably unfair question because I don't I don't think you've been to Auburn. Um, I have not, no. Given the choice to if you're a scholarship football player Mike say you're like a star wideout okay mm -hmm. given your choice you have scholarships to Tennessee and Auburn where do you go? Uh, right now, I go to Auburn because there's just such coaching uncertainty in Tennessee. Yeah. I know what you're getting at. We went to Knoxville. It was an awesome game day atmosphere. It was a cool college town. And like you said, we have not been to Auburn, so it's kind of hard to compare them. But if I'm, a, if I'm a scholarship wide receiver in the SEC, that means I think I have a chance to go to the NFL. Who's going to be able to develop my talent better? I would definitely pick Gus Malzahn over fill in the blank of Tennessee. Mike, the first CFP rankings came out this week. Very exciting. I watched this show live just to see my Hoosiers in there for the very first time. It was awesome seeing the IE logo revealed. All right. I'll go through this now. So we're, we're, we're ditching the AP in favor of the CFP, of course. 25 through 21, 25 Tulsa, 24 Iowa, 23 Oakey State, 22 the aforementioned Auburn, 21 Marshall. It seems like Iowa's playing on very good ball after losing their first two. They seem to be you know, picking it up. And it's, you know, it's, it's big for, for Tulsa to continue um, staying in those rankings uh, just because Cincinnati is going to play them once and possibly twice. So it's important for Tulsa to stay in there. And my God, Tulsa has pulled some games out of their ass. Their performance on, I think it was this Thursday against, uh, against um, Tulane was a absolute miracle. 20 through 16, uh, Coastal Carolina, 19, UNC, 18, USC, 17, Texas, 16, Wisconsin, 15, Oregon. Uh, Oregon at 15 is the interesting one there, right? Because you got to figure they're the, the Pac-12's best chance. They're, they're sitting there at 3-0 with the Civil War coming up. So they've got to keep winning, and they've got to keep winning big. They did not win big on Saturday. They only beat UCLA by three. That might have contributed to their low ranking. Real quick, 14 by itself. I'm sorry. BYU at 14 at 9-0 is a crime. That's See, wrong. I'm not sure about that. I've seen 
if you look at their schedule, I mean, through no fault of their own, I'm not blaming BYU one iota for this. Unfortunately, their schedule is absolutely god-awful. I mean, they've played really nobody. Navy is, Navy is their best game. Navy and um, Boise State, unfortunately, Boise State had their third-string quarterback for that game. And, and, you know, BYU looks the part. You know, we've heard – we've talked about on this show that Rick Neuheisel and a lot of others love them. Um, we all saw them annihilate Navy in a game Navy clearly was not prepared for at the beginning of the season. But I, I, I don't I, – I admit that I don't – I wouldn't know where to rank BYU because they've just played no one of any caliber whatsoever. But they are destroying everyone. They True. Play. True. I give them credit. And they will hopefully be able to move up too. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't think that uh, fit 14 is such a crime for BYU because there certainly shouldn't be above number 12. <laughs> 13 through 10. Uh, 13, Iowa State. 12, Indiana. 11, Oklahoma. 10, Miami. Oklahoma really seems to be trending uh, in the right direction. They seem to do this every season, don't they? They have a, yeah. an early slip up and then they claw their way back and we find them in the Big 12 title game winning the Big 12. Miami is a team, is, is an interesting team. I mean, they seem to have just completely fallen off the radar after losing to Clemson, right? But here they are sitting at number 10, 7, and 1. Um, they, they're dealing with some COVID issues. I have no idea when they're even playing next. But uh, it's a good coaching job by Manny Diaz this season. Nine through five. Uh, Georgia and Northwestern. I love that. Georgia behind Northwestern. <laughs> well, it's ridiculous. Georgia is the most overranked team in, this, in, this, in these Absolutely. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, seven, Cincinnati. Six, Florida. Uh, five, A&M. I was glad to see A&M ranked above Florida um, because they beat them head-to-head. Uh, Florida will get their chance against Alabama, um, so that that should work it work its way out, but work itself out. But I, I'm glad to see the committee uh, considered head to head as really the first kind of differential between those two teams. Finally, four through one, four Ohio State, three Clemson, two Notre Dame, and number one, I think they've clearly established themselves as the best team. Alabama is the best team in the country. Right. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And of course, these four are the are the. Everyone knew these were going to be the top four. Some minor grumbling about uh, Clemson being ahead of Ohio State, but it doesn't matter. That will all work work itself out. These are the four top teams in the country, unquestionably, right now. Mike, news items. So some some different stuff this week. So Nick Saban has tested positive, but this time it's a real positive. He yes. has mild symptoms. The team doctor is definitely saying, like, oh, this is not a false positive. Um, so, you know, hopefully uh, Coach Saban is doing well or whatever. But that's, you know, for Bama, losing the best coach in the history of the game is an issue, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't think it's that big of an issue. And I heard uh, – I mean, they, they were already – first of all, they'd already prepared for this for the Georgia game with Sarkeesian, you know, kind of taking the reins. Um, and, and it was interesting. I heard uh, Neuheisel talking about this on the radio today. And he mentioned that Bama has not one, not two, but three former head coaches who are quality control analysts on that staff. Butch Jones, nice. Major Applewhite, um, and I'm blanking on the on the third one. But he said any any number, any one of those three could be the guy they turn to to be like, all right, you're in charge of the of the clock and the time timeouts and that sort of thing. So. I really don't think it will affect Bama all that much. I mean, it might give a little tiny boost to Auburn, you know, uh, heading into the game in terms of their mental preparation and believing that they can win the game. 
but you're not going to have to worry about getting your players motivated if you're Alabama and preparation wise, Bama will be right there. So of course, best to, best to Nick Saban, but I don't think it'll, it'll hurt his team too much. Meanwhile, our weekly update that we have cancellations. So Cincy Temple's canceled whiskey, Minnesota, the first time in I think 118 years, not going to play, which sucks. I yeah, just definitely. saw, I just checked right now. Um, the West Virginia Oklahoma game I think is canceled now. Oh, that was a big one. That's that's big. Yeah, because of COVID. Um, again, it's the same old shit, right? Um, at Vanderbilt, so I don't know. I'm guessing that is a COVID issue. They're short kickers, so they're mm-hmm. asking a women's soccer player from the Vanderbilt women's soccer team to kick this week, potentially. That'll be fascinating. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, definitely. Right? I don't even know if there's ever been a woman kick a field goal or extra point in college football. I have Didn't no idea. Colorado have one, uh, or, or maybe that was a situation where she tried out and it went terribly awry. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure either. But that'll that'll be cool. It'll give you one and one reason only to watch a Vanderbilt game on, on Saturday. Finally, and Mike, please indulge me here. Uh, today, the great Diego Maradona, mm-hmm. one of the three greatest players in the history of the sport of soccer, a.k.a. football, passed away. Um, the man had many issues <laughs> throughout his life. Yes. But in his prime, again, the, it is him, Pele, and Messi. That is the, that's the pinnacle of soccer. Um, this guy was a uh, meteor of a player. My first memory ever of watching soccer on TV was watching at my, my aunt and uncle's house in 1986 World Cup, watching him playing against England where he scored the hand of God goal and the goal of the century, as they call it. I said to you today, like, there's, like, geopolitical, like, implications for that game, too. Um, it's hard to express like how good this guy was and what an influence he was on the game of soccer. It's like, he's essentially right there with Jordan in basketball, Um, a major loss for the world of soccer. I know you've um, kind of come on board with the sport of soccer and you're still learning. Um, I would just say for you, like the only person who approaches how good Maradona was right now is Messi, but Messi like three years ago. It's a mm. different level. They can do things that other people could never do. Um, I guess in college football, the only context would be like Herschel Walker or yeah. Jim Brown or yeah. Red Grange, like someone who is just can do things that other people can't do. That's Maradona. So Yeah, Bo Jackson, I think. I watched the Maradona documentary. I can't remember what form or what platform it was on, but it was on recently, maybe within the last six months. It was very interesting. Learned a lot about him. It was, as you say, it's hard to express what a great player it is. It's also hard to express how much he liked drugs. Uh, <laughs> that was that was a big part of the documentary. And he was sixty, I believe, today when he passed away, which is which is sad. But also watching that documentary, it's almost a miracle that he made it. He made it that long. But yeah. It was, when you first said the three greatest players, I, uh, of course, automatically knew you meant Maradona and Pele. I didn't know who you were going to go with with the third one. But uh, it's cool that we've actually got to see Messi uh, in his prime. And, and even though it's not you saying it's three years past his prime, I've seen him do some things this season that were 
absolutely incredible as well. So, yeah, that's a sad loss. And he was a, a transcendent athlete for sure. Mike, the games of the week. Um, well, and one more news item. Oh, it's, go ahead, Mike. I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Dabo Sweeney. What is wrong with this guy? All right. So they fly to, to uh, uh, Tallahassee to play the Knolls on Saturday. They have a COVID uh, positive player aboard. Somehow, though, everyone seems to agree that, that, that they still meet ACC rules and protocols, which I'm not clear on that, how that happened. But everyone agrees. And for whatever reason, Florida State is not comfortable playing them. Uh, they cancel the game. Dabo is upset about it. He thinks Florida State is ducking them. He says a couple things about it on Saturday and then Sunday and then Monday and then Tuesday. And I don't understand why this guy just cannot let this thing go. He really is starting to become a little too invested in this the world is against Clemson narrative. I think that's kind of where he's going with this. I think he thinks it helps his team. Maybe fires up his fan base, too. I'm not sure about that. But uh, I'm growing tired of it. And, uh, look, Mike Norvell came on and said, look, it was not our decision. It was, the, it was the doctor's decisions. Whether you believe that or not, Florida State seems like they truly do want to reschedule the game. Um, his bellyaching, Dabo's bellyaching about the trip costing $300,000 is absolutely laughable for a guy who gets paid $9 million a year. Right. Yeah. Um, and and, and um, famously has some of the highest paid assistant coaches of anyone in college football as well. Seems a bit disingenuous to me. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on with Dabo's mentality and psyche these days, but just let it go, Dabo. We're in a, we're in a pandemic. Everyone's trying to do the best they can. Your team hopefully will get to play. Um, I think it's Pitt this weekend. They'll be back on the field. You know, everything's still in front of you. It's not no, not losing a blowout game against Florida State is not going to hurt your team. So I would say let it go. My thing is, do you actually thinks he be, do you think he actually believes that Florida State was ducking him? I, I guarantee you, as a parent of a kid on a football team who had two games canceled this year for COVID. He, everyone on his team, the coaches, they would have played any game, any game, yeah. right? I'm sure the Florida State players and Norvell wanted to play the game, but if their doctors say it's not safe, of course you don't play the game. I'm sorry. But does, does Davo actually believe they were ducking him? They, he can't. Yeah, I'm, not sure. I, I'm not sure whether he actually believes it or if it's part of this kind of character uh, that he's developing to you know that he thinks he thinks that kind of narrative helps the program one way or another um but it's not a good look for him either way and it's it's growing it's growing tiresome i agree all right mike games of the week games of the week let's talk football so we're starting on so th there actually are two games on thursday I'm, i think there's an air force game on thursday yeah, you know, remember we're recording this wednesday evening so who knows what could happen by thursday but yes colorado state is at air force uh Two o'clock kickoff, Air Force favored by five and a half. And now the game, the football, not just the college game of the night, but the football game of the night because the Ravens and Steelers have been postponed and moved from Thursday night. New Mexico at Utah State. The nation will be watching 7 p.m. kickoff Thanksgiving night. It sure ain't Texas, Texas A&M. It sure ain't Ole Miss, Mississippi State. It's New Mexico at Utah State. Um, New Mexico, wow, New Mexico is actually favored by six and a half points in a battle of two 0-4 teams. I can't wait to watch this game. 
That's almost Penn State, Michigan this week, Mike. That's very close. Two zero and four teams in New Mexico, a road six and a half point favorite. All right, number thirteen, Iowa State, and number seventeen, Texas. Noon Friday, ABC. A lovely way to start the weekend. Um, yeah, I'm all game. in on Iowa State, Mike. Huge game in the Big Ten. Iowa State is favored by one point in Austin, and because of complex tiebreak rules, essentially, uh, it's a must win for each team. Uh, in term, if they want to stay in contention for the Big 12 title game. So it should be a great game at noon on Friday. Get you some, make yourself a leftover turkey sandwich. Start watching some football at noon on Friday. That's what Thanksgiving's all about. Over the next 10 years, which program in football will win more games, Iowa State or Texas? Well, it depends how long Matt Campbell stays. If Matt Campbell leaves and goes coach Texas, it'll be Texas. But if things are currently constructed, uh, you'd have to take Iowa State, wouldn't you? Right. Uh, Mike, the Legends game, Nebraska at number 24, Iowa, 1 p.m. Friday on Fox. There, there is – I know this is a manufactured rivalry in some respects, but there is a wrestling aspect to this too where it's like it's a big deal. And let's face it, Nebraska and Iowa are kind of the same state, right? They are. I can't say that I'm a fan, fan of the name of this game. <laughs> um, Iowa, like, like I said, they've won three in a row and they've looked good doing it. They're 13 and a half point favorites against the beleaguered one and three Nebraska Cornhuskers. And you got to think Iowa's going four and two, don't you? I mean, I would have to think so, but we'll see. Again, yeah. Mike. Good move going to McCaffrey, at quarterback for Nebraska. Scott Frost needs some wins. He needs them badly. Uh, number two, Notre Dame at number 19, North Carolina, 330 Friday, ABC. A, I'll say this. I have been to um, Chapel Hill and Senior Stadium. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stadium. Um, for the life of me, I can't understand why someone besides Mac Brown can't win there. It seems like a place you can recruit to. Like the college town's great, the college is great, stadium's great. Um, it's a great place to live. The weather is great. That being said, Mike, I do think this North Carolina team has a chance to win this game. Interesting. Uh, I agree. I echo you on everything you said about uh, Chapel Hill, except the stadium itself. I have not been to a game there, but I've been to the town. It's an awesome college town, beautiful place. Um, and it's really odd that you're right about how Mac Brown is the only one who's got the, the secret formula for success there. Uh, Notre Dame, a five-point road favorite. They're missing two of their starting offensive linemen, which could be a big deal. But this seems to be a different Notre Dame team for me, um, to, to me, on both sides of the ball. They're, they seem very, very focused and like they're taking care of business. Of course, Sam Howell and that uh, running game from North Carolina, their offense is great. We'll see how they do against the uh, vaunted Notre Dame defense. But the, Notre, the North Carolina defense is truly awful. And I think that's why Notre Dame will prevail by more than five points. And I have a little more to say about this in a later segment. The next game, the Civil War, number 15, Oregon at Oregon State, 7.30 p.m., Friday ESPN. And I apologize in advance. I'm sure we've discussed this on the show before. But to me, besides the beauty of the state of Oregon, I thought Oregon was a beautiful state. We were there last year. Um, the contrast between Oregon and Eugene and Oregon State and Corvallis was one of the most striking contrasts. It has to be one of the biggest differences of in-state rivalries in the country, except for maybe 
Washington, Washington State, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you, I, I, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's got to be, you know, close as well. But yeah, in terms in terms of of towns and and facilities and money, no doubt about it. But Tim, I heard you erroneously refer to this game as the Civil War. Oh, I'm sorry. No longer. Uh, it was announced in June that uh, it's no longer called the Civil War. I'll read you the statement by Oregon Director of Athletics, Rob Mullins. They released this in June. <laughs> uh, today's announcement is not only right, but is a long time coming. And I wish to thank former Duck great Dennis Dixon for raising the question and being the catalyst for change. Thanks also to our current student athletes for their leadership and input during this process. We all we must all recognize the power of words and symbolism associated with the actual Civil War. This mutual decision is in the best interest of both schools. Blah, 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 blah. So this is no longer called the Civil War. It's, of course, going to take years and years and years and years for people to stop referring to it as the Civil War. Um, but I just learned that actually yesterday. So I wanted to point that out. Um, great game, though. Beat whatever you want to call it. Awesome way to end the day on Friday, 7.30 kickoff. Oregon favored by 13 and a half. And we've actually seen a little bit of Oregon State, Timmy, uh, this year. And they look pretty good. They look like an improved team. And I, I think they could hang with the Ducks and at least uh, cover that nearly two-touchdown spread. Can you offer our listeners an honest appraisal, having been to Autzen and then to Reeser? <laughs> c- c- compare and contrast, Mike. Autzen, if you, if, if you had to come up with one word, you'd say maybe jewel. Like yeah. everything is beautiful. It's gleaming glass everywhere. Uh, the, the approach is gorgeous. And if you had to come up with something for Corvallis, you'd say maybe like JV. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a, it's just a structure that they, that they threw up there, uh, you know, made of metal and the cheapest materials possible. No offense to Oregon State, of course. We had a lovely time there. We spent a lot of time in the quote-unquote beer garden, which, of course, is just a, a paved area of the, of the, uh, of the stadium near, behind one of the end zones. But it, 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 I guess you're right, Tim. I couldn't imagine bigger contrast in, in kind of money, cachet, and, um, and uh, facilities than those two schools. Folks, so this game, um, if you're new to the podcast, there is no bigger game on the calendar than Maryland at number 13, Indiana, noon, ESPN2. This is a Mike Unger ball. Mike, um, so this year especially, you know, I, I know you love Maryland. Yeah, and, and they played – you know, Maryland was playing outstanding in, their, in the two games before they've lost their last two games. Of course, those wins came over, uh, you know, some bad teams, including Penn State. But the <laughs> offense with uh, Tulia with – Tulia, Looked great, and it, uh, they seem to be trending in the two t- in the right direction at two and one. Then, of course, the COVID issues hit. They missed their last two games. They're gonna looks like they've been practicing all week, and looks like knock on wood, this game will happen. But Maryland will still be without some players. Indiana opened as a two touchdown favorite. Uh, went down to eleven points. At eleven or ten sounds closer to the right number for me. It'll be interesting to see how IU bounces back after. You know, there was so much attention put on the Hoosiers leading up to that Ohio State game and they played with such emotion and such effort uh it'll I'll be curious to see you know how they bounce back and play so it's uh it'll this will be a a particularly interesting year for me for the younger bowl uh both teams playing well but I'm still gonna have to root for Indiana they they have a chance uh still and I heard this from uh, somebody on the radio today he thinks they still have a chance for a New Year's Six Bowl if if Northwestern slips and or if Northwestern gets destroyed in the um, a Big Ten championship game by Ohio State, far worse than 
Indiana fared against the Buckeyes, IU has a chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. So I'll have to be pulling for the Hoosiers on this one. Mike, what are your thoughts on Penn State, Michigan, noon ABC? Well, I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna put this on my B screen because, I, like, it's like I said, it's kind of like watching a car wreck, or you know, it's 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 kind of it's the troll bowl because it'll be fun to to laugh at whoever loses this game. <laughs> uh, Michigan, a two point favorite. That that seems a bit low to me, honestly, with the way their offense played. They seem like they could actually take some momentum from that win over Rutgers, a double overtime win over Rutgers. As weird as that sounds, saying I think they can take some. Uh, take some good feeling and uh, and at that game and, and for Penn State I don't know I don't know what James Franklin says to his team at this point right oh and eight is a real possibility this season for Penn State I think it's the most likely scenario to be honest like well they still have to play Rutgers but Rutgers is going to be far more motivated and as we saw against last week against Michigan Rutgers Rutgers will play you hard so it's it's going to be a it's going to be a tough game, but I will be watching because I have, of course, family and friends who went to both these fine universities. They never have hesitated to let me know how good their schools are, and I'm not going to hesitate to let them know how bad they suck this year. Number twenty-two Auburn at number one Bama, three thirty CBS. Um, the Iron Bowl, Mike. Not quite the same pizzazz this year for the Iron Bowl. Yeah, I mean, the Iron Bowl with, first of all, I don't know how many fans will be there, but uh, it's hard to think of an Iron Bowl in an empty stadium. I'm sure they'll have some fans there, but, you know, it won't be packed. Uh, the spread was 24 and a half before the Saban news came out. It'll probably go down a couple points, but really not that much. As I said, Auburn seems to be playing a little bit better. They're, they're a quiet 5-2 and two against Bama's very, very loud 7-0. and oh. But uh, it's, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which this is a close game, isn't it? Especially Bama trying to avenge a loss from last year. Mike, in your college football, um, you, you came to the sport later in life, right? You were like uh, post-college when you got Yeah, where, where, when I met you, probably early 2000s is when I really started getting into college football. But, where would you place the kick six in the um, pantheon of like the greatest plays you've ever seen? Number one, without question. That's the most shocking uh, ending. Because, also because of who was involved, the rivalry, and what was on the line. Uh, that was, and then the way it went down, we've never seen anything like that. So that would, that would be number one, the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Um, as amazing as unranked Pitt, number three, Clemson. Yes. <laughs> this game will be on my B screen at 3.30 because just, just to get a, a glimpse of the Tigers, right? We haven't seen them in uh, quite some time, it feels like. And again, I'll say it again, for whatever reason, Pitt is one of those teams who seems to play Clemson good every now and then. Now, it's a 5-4 and four Pitt team against, uh, of course, 7-1 Clemson. Clemson, 24-point favorites. Could Clemson be rusty? Could Pitt play the game of their lives? You know, we'll have to find out. But it'll, it'll just be good to see that familiar orange and purple back out, on, back out on the field and on our television screens on Saturday. In theory, of course, right? In theory. Yep, I, I want that noted, in theory. Number nine, Georgia at South Carolina, 730 uh, SEC Network. First of all, Muschamp is basically done and dusted at this point, right? This is over for him. Well, yeah, he's fired. I mean, there's no basically about it. Mike Bobo is the coach. You didn't, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't catch that news, Timmy? I forgot. Yeah, that, that, that happened about two weeks ago. So Mike Bobo, former Georgia quarterback, going up against his own team, his old team, JT, JT Daniels will be quarterback in the dogs. Um, South Carolina, 21-point underdogs. They have looked terrible this season, but they did beat 
Georgia, uh, I think it was South Carolina who upset Georgia a couple years ago, might even been last year. So do they have a chance? I don't know. We'll, we, we'll see. I think that might be a sleepy kind of game. If Mississippi State can stay within seven of the dogs in Athens, I think South Carolina might be able to make a game out of this one in Columbia. So the obvious candidate for this job at South Carolina is, you know who, Mike. Um, will they honestly go there? Will they do that? I think so. There was a little report that trickled out this week, too. They wanted to talk to uh, Satterfield from Louisville, who politely declined. I mean, this is this is a hard job. I mean, if you look at history, who are you going to – got to get someone like, drumroll, Tony Dungy, some, you know, <laughs> some kind of big name who's been retired for a long time or out of, out of the college game, I should say, for a long time, a la Spurrier, a la Lou Holtz. But South Carolina, to me, strikes me as a very, very hard job. So where does Muschamp land now? He'll go to he'll go to be a D coordinator somewhere at a at a second tier SEC school or a Group of Five school. His time his time as a head coach is understandably over. And then where does you know who go? I don't know who you're talking about. You freeze. Oh, you freeze. Yeah, he's there. Obviously, South Carolina's number one target. I don't know if he'll go. I mean, he seems to. Have a, have a cushy – I mean, he'll go eventually. I don't know if South Carolina is where he wants to jump to, though. Hmm. We shall see. Uh, finally, just because it's the, the Pac-12 after dark, uh, Utah at Washington, 1030 uh, ESPN. I've not seen Utah or Washington. but <laughs> Neither have I. Utah played one game this year. Washington's played two, I believe. And this game was, what, just added yesterday or today to the schedule. So, at least we have Pac-12 after dark. I mean – I've, I've been saying it all season, and in this, in this, in this time of Thanksgiving, of course, we're all thankful for our, the health uh, and, uh, of our loved ones, our friends, our family. But I'm also thankful that we're just playing these games. Uh, you know, tip of the cap to everyone who's, you know, there's been a lot of complaining among fans, this is not fair, blah, 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 the, South Carolina, the uh, Florida State-Clemson situation, things like that. I'm just happy to have football on Saturday. I'm happy to watch it. I can't imagine my false Saturdays without college football. So, you know, kudos to Utah and Washington for saying, hey, let's just tee it up on Saturday night. Mike, our picks last week with what? Timmy, you won your second straight after starting 0-7. You're now at a robust 2-7. and Both your two are Iowa. You took the Hawkeyes over your beloved Penn State Nittany Lions. A lot of times when you pick against Penn State, it goes against you, but this one worked out well. So you're 2-7. and uh, I picked the Terps before their game was canceled. So for the second straight week, I have no score. I am four and five. I'm sitting there at four or five, so I got to get back to 500. All right, Bobby at the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't care. I never have. For this week's Lock of the Week, we are going down to the aforementioned beautiful college town of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where the Notre Dame uh, fighting Irish come in to play the Tar Heels. North Carolina with a tremendous offense, but uh, uh, Notre Dame has pro prospects at every level of their defense. Notre Dame missing, as I mentioned, two offensive linemen, but with Ian Book and those receivers, they seemed, and against one of the worst defenses you can imagine, 
in North Carolina. I feel comfortable laying less than a touchdown, laying five points with the Irish. They seem very like a very focused team to me, and I think they have their sights met, uh, sight set on the playoff and a rematch with Clemson in the ACC title game. So I'll take Notre Dame minus the five. All right, again, what's the Penn State line, Mike? Uh, Michigan is favored by two over the Knicks. I'll take Michigan. Ah, oh, you're sticking with your you're sticking with your fade Penn State approach. I love it. <laughs> I think I like Michigan in that one as well. <laughs> yeah, Penn State's so bad. Anyway, all right, Mike, your plans this weekend. What are you doing? Oh, Tim, it's going to be a great weekend, as all Thanksgiving weekends are. I'm going uh, to see my parents, sister, brother-in-law, and nephews tomorrow for Thanksgiving. That's it. We normally have over 20 people, just, just us seven this time, and we'll be sitting outside of my sister's awesome screened-in, heated, uh, and with, with a television screened-in porch, eating our turkey there. I'm making some autumn fizz cocktails as the featured cocktail. Um, and then, as I've said many times, what I love about living an hour away from my parents and family is that I get to see them whenever I want, and I get to come home whenever <laughs> I want. So I'll be coming home Thursday night to meet a few friends and make some um, white Russians per tradition. Uh, Friday, I'm going on a hike in the Appal on the Appalachian Trail for in the morning. I'll be back in the afternoon for the 3.30s and the previously named Civil War. And then Saturday, I think I'm going over to our friend Brian Schlater's. Uh, his basement bar for the first time to check that out. Watch the Hoosiers and the Terps before returning home for all the rest of the great rivalry matchups on Saturday. So it should be an awesome weekend. It's hard to overstate how great Thanksgiving weekend is, Mike. And like, yeah. I think this year more than ever before, we all need a four day break. Just get away from work, get away from like everything. Right. And not literally get away, but, but yes, to uh, remove ourselves mentally from that situation, for sure. Uh, so, folks, thanks again for listening. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, stay safe this weekend. Do the right thing. And uh, enjoy the college football. Mike, there's one thing to say. Yep. Enjoy all the football. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for listening. That's more than one thing, but I'll, leave, I'll end it by saying pachas. Pachas. Thank you for listening to the TCFA podcast. For more college football news and wit, visit intelligent